and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Today's show is going to be a very interesting show, a topic that we haven't really covered before, and it is going to be primarily focused on a Latin American shamanic healing practice called Curandurismo, and it is a type of soul retrieval. And our guest who is here today to talk to us about this is Erica Buenaflor. Erica, welcome. Hi, Hannah. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you. So I know we were kind of playing around a little bit with how to how teaching me how to pronounce what exactly this is, um, and I tried to do my best here. But I would love for you to just kind of let our listeners know um, all of your background history. I know that you have over twenty years of practicing this type of Latin American uh, shamanism. Um, you know, it's really uh, from what I've learned about your book. It's very connected with the Mayan culture. I know that you've also uh, studied uh, Mesoamerica curanderismo <laughs> um, at UCLA and UCR. So I would just love for you to be able to tell our listeners a little bit more about the background to bring us into this awesome conversation that I'm really excited to have about soul retrieval. Yes, of course. So curanderismo, um, as you mentioned, it's a shamanic healing practice. The roots of it the roots of it are based from the indigenous peoples of the Americas. It, although it's a very eclectic practice, all of the foundations of curanderismo, such as limpias, which are shamanic uh, cleansing practices, um, understandings and principles of uh, that form curanderismo, a lot of it, it's based on the indigenous peoples. Of course, you know, at, as time goes on, people add what they need. Um, it changes, it's fluid, it's dynamic. Um, but the core roots of it can be traced back to the indigenous peoples of the Americas. And my practice, it comes from um, a mixture of studying with, I had four principal teachers throughout a very large period of time, um, approximately about a decade, a little bit more than a decade. Um, the four of them, two of them were just from the Yucatan. Uh, which is they were they were versed in ancient Maya traditions, and then my other two mentors, um, the female mentors, they were versed in Maya traditions as well because that's where I met them. But they were also versed in what um, a lot of um, Mesoamerica, a lot of Chicanas, a lot of Mexicanos, we call them Nahuatl traditions, which are indigenous traditions that are from the um, Mesoamerican plateau, like in a lot of Mexico. It's like basically everything other than um, you can think of it other than Maya. <laughs> that's like it's like that's what it's somewhat become. And it's something that we reclaim. It's like, OK, we call it Nahuatl. So the Nahuatl traditions, they were versed in Nahuatl traditions, which included um Mexica, which included a lot of the traditions from the Mesoamerican plateau. So that was where my, my training came from. Um, very, very strong indigenous background. And also I, I studied in, um, I got a master's in religious studies focusing on ancient Mesoamerican shamanism and curanderismo. 
Wonderful. And I would also love to hear about the lineage of the women in your family, because I know that you come from a grandmother lineage of women healers. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about the family background. Yes. Um, it's, you know, I was really blessed to grow up with some really strong women in my life. I mean, it was just, they were just really strong. Uh, my great-great-grandmother, an amazing woman, during the uh, Mexican Revolution, um, and it was a little bit, it was very odd, even though it was a revolution, it was somewhat of a renaissance where women were stepping up. Women were also claiming their power as well. And my great-great-grandmother was one of them. She actually owned a saloon um, in Chihuahua. Um, which is northern part of Mexico, and she was also curandera. You know, people would travel um, many, many miles to come see her as a curandera and then have a drink at her saloon. And, you know, my family, we all share this story that Pancho Villa, who's, who was one of the one of the bandits in the Mexican Revolution, he's somewhat romanticized in Mexico, but he was, he was definitely a bandit. Um, he came into her saloon and was giving one of the ladies a difficult time and she, my great great grandmother, went right up to him, put a gun to his head and a pistol next to his head, and was like, "You know what? You get out of my saloon and you get out right now." And back in the days, you know, Pancho Villa was not someone that you mess with, but my my great great grandmother was also very well respected. And he just left. You know, he left, didn't give her a hard time, and was like, "Okay." Um, and then my great great my great grandmother um, was also. You know, she actually did a lot of healing with, with cooking, and she told me a lot of stories about curanderas. Um, and my grandmother actually took a turn. She became more Western. She be, she went to nursing school. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where things started, like, shift in my family, adopting more Western cultures. And then it came to me, and I just um, I went back to our roots. Wonderful. Cool. Yeah, I was, I was just really curious to know. I always think it's it's wonderful when people can share a little bit about the stories of, you know, where they come from and just, you know, the healers in their family, how they end up following in those footsteps. So um, I was curious to know about that because I know that you had uh, mentioned, too, that she was uh, well known in Mexico. Yes. Yes. So, all right. So let's talk about um, soul retrieval and maybe explaining a little bit about what that is. You know, in your book, you give kind of like a nice little checklist of questions. And I'd like to read that off for our listeners, too, because you have in the introduction how to determine if uh, the need for soul retrieval is something that somebody actually, you know, needs. So you list some uh, questions for the reader to just ponder and ask themselves. And a few of those questions are, have you experienced experienced any traumas in your life that could have resulted in soul loss? Do you experience any degrees of depression? Do you ever feel there is a part of you that is missing and you are unsure of what or why? Do you face unwanted and challenging patterns in your life? Is there something in your life that you deeply want to get past but are unable or unable to manifest? And would you like to deepen your self-awareness? So if any of our listeners say yes to a few of those, would you say that you would be able to determine that they would need a soul retrieval? Yes. You know, I, honestly, I have yet to meet a person that doesn't need it. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very much the, um, it's the Western culture. I mean, it's it's very embodied. It's a, it's a huge part of us are disassociated in some degree from ourselves. Um, maybe it's, and, you know, there's varying degrees of that, but it's also, most importantly, a process of 
self-awareness as well. You know, what is it? Because, you know, we grow up and our parents, God bless them, they do the best that they can. But sometimes we don't, we need other things. And those pieces of us are hungry for those things, or need those things, need that medicine and need earth medicine too. And the connection, feeling the connection to everything around us. Um, a lot of us, you know, we're empathic. We don't know what's going on. We pick up energies and, you know, we go throughout our childhood picking up energies. And that's also somewhat could be like, well, you know, we never dealt with that. We never really released from that. And we try to shut off those gifts. So that can be a trauma in itself. So it's, it's really applicable to most of us. Yeah. And I would say, I, I really think it is impossible to kind of be here on earth and not experience trauma. I mean, it's just, you know, you're just interacting with so much and, and the traumas can vary, right? It it could be something that, um, is mild and then it could, I just think that there's like a range too. It could be extremely, um, traumatic and very severe, the different traumas that each person as they walk on this earth experience. Yes. Um, I've also, and I don't know if this is kind of like the same language, uh, similar in, uh, you know, your practice, but what I've heard, uh, some other teachers say is that when we go through these traumas, there is kind of a part of the soul that breaks off. I've heard the term soul fragments that our soul can break off during a trauma. And, uh, you know, I'm wondering if the soul retrieval in the practice that you do is kind of finding that soul fragment or that piece of us that breaks off a little bit. I don't know why it breaks off maybe for protection or safety. And then you kind of go in to collect reintegrate it. Uh, so the person feels reconnected within themselves. That's how I've heard something similar. And I don't know if that's considered to be soul retrieval, but I've heard a concept of soul fragments and collecting these soul fragments and bringing them back. Yes. So very, that's a very interrelated understanding. Um, because that's what happens. We go through trauma and sometimes there's fragments of it. It's found in different places. And the ancient Mesoamerican people and still contemporary indigenous peoples as well, and what we've taken as curanderismo, um, there's many different beliefs in terms, many different methodologies of how to do soul retrieval, but one underlying understanding of the soul and, and how it relates to soul retrieval is that the soul is sacred essence energy. So it is all around us. And the soul, what happens is it's just basically energy leaving us. Um, and I see that a lot with people that are, you know, experiencing, um, you know, they have lethargic experiences, fibromyalgia, depression. It's basically we don't have our energy, the energy that we need to sustain us. Um, or our energy is imbalanced in some way. So, and that's how it begins to fragment. Interesting. So, so do you feel that some of the physical ailments that bodies can experience are just related to these losses of energy that the body, like you said, the body can't sustain. So then if the body is not filled with the optimal level of energy, then the body can begin to deteriorate and experience physical illness. Yes. And at the same time, once it gets to that level, you also have to treat the physical illness, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. You know, but if you don't, you just treat the physical illness, you know, it's that the core root of what, what's causing it, it will manifest in some other way. Gotcha. Um, I know in your book too, that as you begin to describe, um, 
you know, what is being retrieved. And I'd like you to describe this a little more in depth is that you're also letting the person know that the person doesn't need to re-experience the trauma. They're just engaging with that soul piece to find out what they need to do to create that loving and safe space for it return for it to return. So can you explain exactly what is being retrieved? And maybe we can pick, um, Maybe we can pick an example of a trauma, maybe one that you've worked with uh, quite often or that you see a lot in people. So we're not just kind of using the word trauma as an example, but like, let's give a real life example, maybe even of a case that you've worked on and how the soul retrieval process went. So um, actually, I'll, 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 I'll address something that I just worked with just yesterday. I mean, that's the first thing that came to my mind was yesterday. Um there was a situation where a lady tried to taper off of um, one of my clients, beautiful clients. She tried to taper off um, antidepressants, and it was a very difficult experience. It was it was um, very traumatic for her, very traumatic, and she couldn't find the support in the medical community. The doctors were telling her, "No, it's all in your head." There's, you know, no, no. And and she was having problems with insomnia. It was anxiety. It was getting really bad. So one of the things um, we had to do was not go through that experience of the trauma. You know, we, during the journey, you know, what I, what, what I do is I take people through a journey. And the most important thing is whether you're doing this for yourself or you're working with somebody, if you're the practitioner that's doing this for somebody, because in my book, it's a book that can be used for someone who's doing their own soul retrieval or a practitioner that's doing this for someone else. So the one who's doing the soul retrieval work, you know, the practitioner, so to speak, the practitioner is the one who's going through the journey. So I go through the journey, but I also explain what I'm seeing. So that information is recorded, so to speak, in my in my client's subconscious, conscious, unconscious, and subtle body energies. And, you know, we, we went through a journey and, um, and there's different guides that come forward. And I never know who was going to come forward. For her, who came forward was actually, um, which is very interesting. You know, she's a, she's a beautiful white lady and an Odisha came forward. And she has no connection. Yamaya came forward for her. And Amaya... Um, Maya got a deity teacher, Chakchel, came forward. And, you know, we were on Cozumel. She was with sisters. She was in a safe space. And I had her, you know, um, release first the energy of that trauma, release that energy. And I did a limpia. I cleared it out. And then I had her from her sacred heart send out a white light connecting to the, to those pieces, connecting to the, the that piece of her that was wounded. And, you know, I, you know, I called in the cardinal spaces and basically had her ask these pieces of, of her, you know, what can I do to heal you? How can I help us to feel safe? How can I help us to get, you know, to clear the fear? I had questions and it's not about her getting the answers during that journey, you know, because the thing is that. Soul retrieval is a process. It's not about the end goal. It's like, okay, yeah, getting that soul piece. There one, well, there was one aspect during our journey which was related to a different trauma that came back. But sometimes it's not sometimes. It's a process in and of itself. Sometimes they're ready to come back. Sometimes they're saying, hey, I'm going to hang out. I need to make sure when I come back that, that that home that I come back to is safe. So during that journey is I have her ask these questions. So 
as the days go by and the weeks go by or time goes by, all that is, the mundane world, the sacred world, everything is energy. So those questions are recorded in her auric fields, in her energy fields, in her core fields, everything will interact with her. And when you start working with those cardinal spaces, you've literally opened up a portal so that that division between mundane and sacred starts to blur. And there will be more synchronicities that happen that will help her, that will help people, that will help, you know, us to say, hey, this is what you need to do for yourself. This is how how you need to honor yourself. This is how you need to love yourself so that energy can come back because those soul pieces don't necessarily just come back to the journey. You know, I've had it happen where I'm, you know, I might be like in the shower and a piece comes back to me and it's like, oh, oh, wow. It's like this energy rush that I feel. It's like, oh, that piece just came back to me. <laughs> wow. But, okay. yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's understanding that, you know, because a lot of, a lot of the, also the, a lot of the trauma, um, there's, a, there's a part of it that we distinguish between what is mundane and what is sacred. So, you know, it starts to blur and treating life as a ritual, treating life as sacred and knowing that we're always being watched over. We're always being, that is medicine in of itself and also begins to create a beautiful space for those pieces to come back to. Now, you mentioned in there uh, working with the cardinal spaces. So for people who aren't familiar with the cardinal spaces, can you also explain what you mean by that and what you're working with? Of course. So the um, the understandings and the principles of the cardinal spaces, they come from um, indigenous. And I explain that in my book, and I, I talk about what are the totems, what are the gifts, what were the understandings. So the cardinal spaces, it was believed that sacred essence energy, it can come from all around us, from the universe. It was held in sacred ice items. And when we worked with the sun, when we work with the cardinal spaces being the center, the south, the west, the north, the east, they all were had essence energy. They all had sacred essence energy, soul energy, that when we were doing the work, they would help support us, giving us energy back. So it would invigorate us to keep going and motivate us to keep going to do this work. And it does. And it does. So, so the, and, and the cardinal spaces, they're not simply fixed spaces. It's not just like, okay, this is, this is a, a physical fixed space, you know, or something that you read in your compass. They were understood as fixed and they were also unfixed, metaphorical. So, um, you know, the, the there, there were sacred entities in and of themselves where you can call upon them. Um, it was more of a, a journey that you that you experienced. So, for example, the center, the center space, the center space is found in all of the four corners of the cardinal spaces. It is a space where we, it's our sacred portal that we journey into. It's what is known in curanderismo traditions as the sacred heart. And it's very interesting because um, in quantum physics, they've, um, in Carlos Castaneda's, in his books, um, he talked about the, uh, the sacred heart as the assemblage point. It's the portal within us where we can journey into the non-ordinary realms 
Because in all the cardinal spaces, as long as there is wisdom, they also intersect with the non-ordinary realms, the upper world, middle world, and the underworld, where our soul pieces can be found. So for example, if, you know, let's say I'm working with my client, with a client for the first time, and we're working with the South. When we go through a journey, if there's, you know, we have a platica, we have a, a heart straightening talk. Um, and then with that information, you know, and with that energy of that information, because it's more about the energy of the information, we go through the journey and it's that piece. It's like, is that piece ready to come out? And when we go through the, the, the South, which is the South is a space of discovery and understanding. So we're going through that space and we're calling that soul piece to discover and understand what happened. Why did that soul piece leave? That piece of her or him may be found in the upper world, underworld, middle world, and sometimes it can found, be found in many different spaces depending on what kind of trauma and how complex it was. Um, that's why it's also, it's a process. Whereas the West, you know, and then, you know, once we're done with the South, we may go to the West. The West is the space of determining what do we have to release. And sometimes there are stories. There are stories of, you know, uh, for example, my mom did this to me. My dad did this to me. This is why I'm this way. I had this trauma and this is why I'm this way or releasing bad habits, releasing things that we need to let go of so we can create that ideal space for those pieces to come back to. Um, and sometimes during that time, it's like, oh, we got to go back to the South. We got to go back to the South to discover what else do we need to do so we can have that motivation to release. And sometimes we need to go to the North. The North is the space of ancestral medicine and wisdom. The ancestral medicine and wisdom, it's not just necessarily our blood um, lineage. It could be whatever guides we're connected to, whatever guides come forward to help us, to teach us, to provide and bring synchronicities into our life to help motivate us and guide us and connect us to that wonder, that awe, that spirituality, that whatever answers we're seeking. So, and that's why it's also, it's also important to keep in mind that it's not fixed. Whereas the East is a space of new beginnings because sometimes we might be in the North and we got to go back to the West. Sometimes we're like, okay, I am ready for that new beginning. Yes, I'm, I'm in the East. I'm moving forward and oh, nope, not quite ready. There's something that we need to release. So we go back to the West. So that's why it's unfixed. It's not like a neat linear line, which healing is not neat and linear. Sometimes it's bumpy, it's jagged, it's unpredictable. And it's a process that we don't treat as the end goal. We treat it with compassion, with love, with patience, and we appreciate the process in and of itself. Because at the end of the day, that's a big part of what we have. 
<laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, that's so interesting. You know, the way that you describe the Northeast, South and West um, on a side note, and some of this is like starting to come together too. And I had consulted some astrologists about moving and buying a house. They said that the front door of the house should be facing the East. So when you're saying like new beginnings, and again, that just might be a different school of thought or something else. But when you said that, I was like, huh, interesting. They told me to find a house with the door facing the East. I wonder why that is. I had no idea why they were recommending that. But then hearing a little bit more about the directions um, in this, I was like, well, you know, if you're walking out of your front door, that's very metaphoric of, you know, getting ready to have a new beginning each day, I guess you could say. I don't know. Yeah. You know, um, at a CB Chatun, which is one of the oldest Maya cities, the um, during the equinox, they um, the Maya constructed, and a lot of the buildings too, this is not just CB Chatun, um, they constructed the building so at the time of dawn, um, at sunrise, the at the east, they have the door aligned. So there's at the door and then at the window at the far at the far east, you see the sun peering out from the window and peering out from the sun. Um, and, and it's very much that understanding of the east, new beginnings, um, flowery world, a new start, a new energy. So, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's driving my realtor crazy because we'll go up to a house. I have my <laughs> compass out on my iPhone and I'm like, nope, the door's not facing the east. We don't even need to go in. And she's like, oh my gosh, who is this woman? And what, how is she picking a house depending upon the way that the door is uh, situated? But there's there's reasons. There are reasons for it. Um, so I was, I was wondering if we could also maybe in the next part of our conversation, talk a little bit about journeying, um, with the animals. And one thing that I find really interesting that's happening as of late is anytime I am getting ready to speak to a shaman on the podcast the night before I'm having crazy dreams with animals in them. And right before I woke up this morning, um, it happened to me last week when I was talking to another um, person that works within the animal kingdom. I had a dream about a lioness and all of that. This morning, I saw this amazing creature that was like four or five animals in one. It was almost like a beautiful white snowy owl the size of a hummingbird with hummingbird wings and the tail. It had five eyes, like an insect of some sort, but the bright, bright yellow, like an owl would have. And then like two little horns on top. And it, it looked like it would be something that would come out of like a Harry Potter movie. <laughs> and it was in, for some reason, I'm walking into the front of a courthouse with my friends and we're seeing this and I'm like trying to like get it so that they can get a picture of it. And everyone was like in such amazement, They're like, oh my gosh, do you see this? I'm like, yes, get your phones out, take a picture. Did you get a picture? We'll have to send it to somebody to figure out what this is because it was so mystical. But, um, you know, as I woke up from the dream, I've been journaling about it this morning and trying to draw a little bit because it was the flight pattern was so interesting, but it really was like an eagle or no, I'm, I'm sorry, an owl, a bee, a hummingbird, um, and some sort of like insect all, all in one animal. And it was beautiful, but all white. So, um, so I just mentioned that because I don't know why this is happening to me every time I get ready to go onto a podcast with a shaman and I'm having these interesting animal dreams, but I know that journeying with the animal guardians is uh, another section that you have in your book. 
So I'd like to honor whatever animal that was that came into my dream space this morning uh, before having this conversation. And maybe we can talk a little bit more about the animals and journeying and connecting with them. Yes. Well, specifically with what you shared with me, that um, that animal, it seemed like it was very much uh, supernatural, so to speak. So if you came to me for a session and you wanted to get in touch with that animal and connect with that animal, we would probably start with the upper world. And I'll explain a little bit about the, um, because this this also intersects with how we connect with animals as well and understanding the different non-ordinary realms. So generally speaking, we usually, you know, and a lot, and I hear this, this is something, you know, cause I've taken a lot of classes on soul retrieval way back in early 2000, you know, about 20 years ago. Um, I took classes there and then I went to the Yucatan and I studied, studied a dip. this, this, my teacher worked with me personally. One of my mentors worked with me personally to do this soul retrieval work. And, um, one of the things that seems uh, that is very common is that we usually start with the underworld, the underworld, um, the underworld was, uh, for the indigenous peoples, um, generally it's, it's conflated with the South being the space of, of um, discovery and understanding, but also tests, trials, and tribulations where you get tested. And that's a lot of the times where we find the spaces of our animals, our animal spirit guides, because they're guides. They're helping us go through those tests. Because at the same time as we're getting tested, we also have guides come forward and say, hey, you know, I'm going to help you through this. And, um, you know, the middle world, the middle world seems to be when, when we find an animal spirit guide there, it's something that, um, that there's maybe even a theft or there's something that we need to find that, um, is connected very much to the middle world of the soul piece with your story. What you shared with me, the upper world seems to be very inferior, inferior, very, um, surreal, it's where we find dragons, pegasus, unicorns, and these supernatural animals that, that, that you describe. And one of the ones that you describe for, you know, if, if taking from the Mesoamerican traditions, the hummingbird, the hummingbird was very much related to the sun and is still very much related to the sun. Um, and especially in Maya traditions as well. And, and also Mesoamerican um, Mexica traditions. Um, it was believed that after, you know, warrior, when they passed away, if they were brave, they went to the upper world. They went to the flower world, uh, where it was a celestial realm. And that was very much connected to the sun. The owl was very much connected to the night. It was, it can see at night, it can journey at night. And then the five eyes, that's the medicine of the cardinal spaces. Um, Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, you know, you're getting help. It it sounds like you're going through a journey yourself. Uh, You're getting help with the sun. The sun is giving you tonali. That's what's called tonali, sacred essence energy. And in um, Totsi traditions, it's called chuyel. It's sacred essence energy. And the moon is is providing you with magic. It's the magic to keep your, it's something that your soul is, is guiding you with. You know, all that is, is guiding you with. So the, um, 
And then the courthouse, the courthouse seems to be connected to some that you're, so there's something there, there's like an, an injustice or justice that all that is, it's saying you're being guided. Something's going to come forward where it's going to be perfect for you. There's going to be a, a, a result that is ideal for you. And it's going to be in all that is, is supporting you in that process. So I would have you journey going from your sacred heart. And the process of going through the sacred heart, as I mentioned, is medicine in of itself. We go through one realm where we go through a door and I, and I, I take clients to this, of uh, the first door that we go through is the door we leave doubt behind. We leave any dense energy behind anything that, that would weigh us down, any doubts, any fears. And we put them into the fires, the violet fires. And, um, then we go through another door of remembering who we are, infinite nature. And that's that space of going into the center where we become the portal. We are the portal. We are the, I am presence, the infinite presence. And then, you know, in that space, I would call upon the animal spirit guide and more than likely we would find ourselves in the upper world. So there is medicine for you. That's looking for you in the upper world, in the fantastic world. And more than likely, and I feel this strongly with you, Hannah, is you need to draw. <laughs> when you get home tonight, draw, you know, get a mandala, get a coloring book, get an angel and draw, do something that you feel is childlike that, that brings out that innocence in you because there's medicine in there for you in the upper world that they're trying to give you. They're trying to provide for you. Um, there's soul medicine for you there too, um, to help you connect more with your child and that childlike innocence and purity. Mm. So that makes sense. Um, Interesting. I, I, right. you know, I'm, ta I'm taking notes as you're talking for myself. And I have been drawing. I've been drawing this morning, trying to draw this animal. That was crazy. But interesting about the childlike, because one question that I kind of had off to the side, um, what with the soul retrieval work and some of the work that I do with my clients is inner child work. And I have that written down to ask you because I'm not doing soul retrieval work, but I always feel like when I am doing inner child work and having my clients rescue their inner child, there is a piece of what feels like soul retrieval. Um, and it's interesting that you talk about connecting with that childlike, um, you know, medicine or that innocence, because part of a train, a 32 hour training that I just underwent is really trying to find that childhood essence. And, um, I was recently at a concert and I had posted this on Facebook, but there was like, so much confetti at the end of this concert that was like falling down all around us. And, you know, the concert's over and people are leaving. And I see this one gentleman uh, laying down in the confetti doing a snow angel. <laughs> and, and I'm just looking at him and, and it was just reminding me a little bit of this other teacher that was talking about, you know, like just play, you know, you have to play like, like a child. So I was like, yes, you know what? A part of me, the more serious me would have just walked out of Radio City Music Hall and, you know, had been done. But I was like, no, I want to play with that confetti. So I, I picked up a bunch of it. I threw it over my head. My best friend's like taking a video of me and, you know, and then I just start dancing a little bit, but I was really trying to, um, I don't want to say force myself, but I have always been, uh, I've have, have had to do a lot of work with the inner child stuff. 
um, having been a very serious child of, you know, trauma, right? So I had to go through uh, that a lot when I was younger. So it's been uh, a bit of a challenge to play a lot. So I am coming into more of that childlike sense, letting her out a little bit more when she really does want to play. I'm not worried about what people are thinking or, oh, look at that immature adult. Um, <laughs> what is she doing with this confetti? So that speaks to me a little bit um, or a lot. Um, and kind of makes sense. So if I were to go into my own journey later on in like a meditation, as you were talking about walking through those doors, would I connect my consciousness with this, um, this supernatural animal that I saw and begin to just ask it to show me where we're going to go? Ask questions. Do I ask questions of it? Do I become it? Uh, what's a way that I can maybe understand more of what this medicine is that's up there for me? Well, with this, I would, you know, with what you, what you described, I would recommend is one is to bring it forward in your journey is to ask, you know, what message do you have for me? And you know, as, as I mentioned, because it's, it's, it seems to be, well, yeah, it's very much a supernatural. There are no animals, <laughs> at least some that I've seen, you know, in my day-to-day life that look like that. Um, because it's a supernatural um, animal, I would definitely ask what medicine it has for you. Okay. And then, you know, if it, and it has to feel right for you. It has to feel comfortable for you where you do become this animal. You know, because sometimes it's it's bringing medicine for you, and you know when you were when you were speaking, it, it's it was a definitely a confirmation that that hummingbird, the sun is giving you, you know, it's guiding you. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it, because it's bringing your pieces back. You know, it's bringing you back, and that magical, that surreal, that childlike innocence is definitely coming back to you. And, and that magical part is also coming back to you with the owl, you know, because the, the owl is very much with the night transformation, with magic, with with it's another aspect of the surreal um, and it's a beauty surreal. So you can journey with it um, and you might ask, too, you know, is there and ask the animals, all, all of them, you know, is there a part of you that. I need to journey with, I need to work with, that I need to show you what do you have for me? What messages and how can we work together? Awesome. So much fun. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. I think every week I need to talk to a shaman so I can, I can dream and I have these messages come. But, you know, the sun part's really interesting, too, because um, I haven't had a ton of tarot card readings from the natural, like, tarot deck with, like, the swords and uh, the cups. But anytime I do, sure enough, what's the one card that is usually always in my reading is the sun card. So that's, you know, you're just kind of putting like little pieces together and I'm like, huh, there it is again. There it is again. Very cool. So interesting. Yeah. So, um, so this, I'm sure kind of in our conversation here, uh, you know, this is also the work that you're doing. If people were interested in working with you, clearly they just heard how you process that dream with me. You kind of took me on a little bit of a mini journey without actually, you know, 
doing that, but giving me that guidance and direction. So this is similar to the work that you're doing with people individually. Yes. 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 And also in, in workshops too, I take, I take a lot of groups of people and we journey. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that too because I'm on your website um, and and Erica's website is realizeyourbliss.com. She's got online classes on there. She has more books. Um, the book that we were that we are discussing today is Kurandarismo Soul Retrieval: Ancient Shamanic Wisdom to Restore the Sacred Energy of the Soul. And you have events, you have different services, journeys on there. So let's tell people uh, where they can journey with you and uh, what kind of workshops that they can take. Yeah. So, you know, I work with people one-on-one, um, you know, sometimes we do it remotely and it's energy work. So it can always be done remotely, you know, and, and some people actually that live out of state, they come here to come visit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love it. You know, it's, it's, it's perfect, but it can be done in person as well. And then, um, in the workshops, Sometimes I go, I go to different places. Next year I'll be going to a lot more places out of state. Um, you know, I, I go, I'm right now I'm, I'm mainly in LA and I also go to Mexico and the Yucatan. I go to some places in Northern California as well. Um, the workshops, we do the journey work together, you know, in a group setting, I bring out the drum, we go through, we journey, I have people connect to to their soul essence. It's very much what they would experience, um, in a one-on-one session. And it's also a lot of how to do these things for yourself, you know, how to do the breath work, because a lot of times too, when we learn how to do the breath work and we stimulate, and that's another aspect too, is we stimulate our own energy centers, also known as chakras. And that's another part in the book is we start working with these fields of, of energy, these fields that are connected also to the non-ordinary realms. So I have people journey with that as well during the, in the workshops. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. It has really been a pleasure to talk with you today. I feel very blessed to have been able to share this with you and get some feedback because I would have felt extremely lost had I woke up and not had anyone to talk to about this except my friends. And they just would have been like, whoa, weird. I don't know. (laughs) You know, Um, but it's just so cool, you know, and how how those five eyes and connecting it to the cardinal space. And I would not have known any of this if I didn't come across your book, um, all the work that you're doing. It's wonderful. So just thank you so much for the contribution uh, that you are giving to this world, to people contributing to the healing of these souls. Um, So very, very grateful for your work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Path 11 podcast today. I hope you all enjoyed this show. And if you haven't checked out our Patreon page, I'd like you to do so because we are going to start putting some content over there that is only for our Patreon subscribers. You can get content for as little as donating a dollar a month, and it could just be a one-time donation. We have other freebies over there that you can get depending upon how much you would like to donate. And again, it could be a one-time donation, or you can continue to keep your subscription on a monthly basis 
price at that donation level, but I just put my MBT immersive experience, which was a four day intensive meditation training in Tennessee with physicist Tom Campbell. I was listening to binaural beats, going to altered states of consciousness, having out of body experiences and life changing experiences that I was able to bring back uh, for myself, for my clients, for my friends. That was just out of this world. So if you would like to listen to that, I'd like you to head on over to path11podcast.com. You're going to see an orange button that says Patreon, become a Patreon today, and you can have access to that podcast. And I would like to remind you to head on over to path11productions.com and check out the membership that we have for the Afterlife Awareness Conference. We have over 25 hours of footage with amazing speakers like William Buhlman, Thomas John, Terry Daniel, Suzanne Geisman, Suzanne Northrup, Linda Fitch, uh, Austin Wells, just a few people uh, to name off that were amazing. These workshops are just so valuable. So I think that you would really enjoy it. It's also a great thing to think about to maybe give the gift to somebody who is struggling with grief. If you are looking for resources, this is a great conference to send people to to check out. And thanks again for listening today. 